0: I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. I'm delighted to welcome Simon Berkeley onto the show today. His initial career within oil exploration uh, led him to join a management consultancy firm, and it's that experience that he's taken throughout his career. So uh, let me introduce you to him now. Hi Simon, thanks for agreeing to join us today. Um, you have vast experience of working in change and transformation, having uh, operated across multiple sectors and organisations for somewhere approaching thirty years, I think. Um, and, and I think when oh. we spoke, you mentioned that you'd operated in over twenty-five different countries. So yeah. I'm I'm sure this episode will be really interesting uh, as you share your thoughts and experience gained through all these these activities and programmes you've been involved in. But um, let's start by just, just giving you a, a quick introduction to yourself, uh, a little bit brief summary of your career to date, and, and how you transitioned into the world of change and transformation in the first place.
1: Hmm. Okay, yeah, well, yes, my, my original business, I was quite fortunate, actually, uh, although I wasn't sure about it at the time. Uh, I started off working in the oil business, in the, uh, the, at the sharp end, if you like, in the drilling business. Yeah. So, um, uh, because I'd done science in uh, college and uh, I got interested in this quite uh, towards the end. And uh, so I found myself in the North Sea, working on uh, high hazard drilling operations, you know, and then very quickly moved on to the Middle East. I uh, was moved on to the Middle East. And um, it was really a fantastic uh, opportunity, a fantastic business to start off in, if you like, yeah. uh, because um, it, uh, it gave me a lot of skills at the time that I took for granted because i thought everyone was doing the same thing but later on they've, they've stood me in, in good stead and also to be honest uh, Tony, i'd always had this ambition to travel i love going to really interesting and, and sometimes yeah. more remote places that you wouldn't normally get to and that was part of the attraction of the oil business it gave me the opportunity to do that and um, so i uh, i worked offshore uh, mostly in the north sea and the middle east and some in the states uh, for about eight years and um uh, what really got me interested in um, consulting with a couple of things. First of all, a uh, uh, friend of mine uh, put me onto it. But secondly, uh, we, we were, um, when we were working in drilling operations, because it's such a high hazard operation, uh, the quality of our teamwork was actually really, really good. We didn't think yeah. so at the time. We weren't trained in team building. But when you're put on an operation like that, with people from different backgrounds, different language, cultures, prejudices, and also different technical disciplines, you had to learn very quickly to operate as yeah. a team and work. It's read. almost
0: been thrown into the deep end there, isn't it? Really? Exactly, it's that's a, right. Yeah, sink you,
1: Exactly. When you're drilling a, a new hole, basically, uh, for technical reasons, the hole has to be unstable all the time for you to get through the earth's crust. So you're deliberately making it unstable. Yeah. So if you take your eye off the ball as a team, you can lose control over a well in, in 20 minutes, half an hour, and then you're finished. You know. So that meant that we had to be really focused and uh, really uh, effective as teams. Uh, but what surprised me, as I grew up in that business and started working more and more in the oil company offices in town before I went offshore, helping with the well planning, I became really surprised at how ineffective and how uh, siloed the organisations were of the people working in, the ta- in town, you know. And these were people in big, global, multinational uh, oil companies. You know, they, we, were, we were having to work with collaborative groups across the, you know, the functions, but we found when we went into town that the geophysicists weren't talking to the geologists, the geologists weren't talking to the drilling people and so on, we'd have to go tramp around, what is it with these people? And just the people coming to get, make a decision on something or get somewhere, they'd say, oh, it's five o'clock, now we're going home. And you'd say, we can't go home, you know, the thing might blow up, you know? So it was a, it was a very interesting start, and it was, I became fascinated by how people behave in organisations. And why they were so ineffective and why they didn't work so well. And um, uh, so, really, in reality, though, there was there was
0: multiple cultures, wasn't there, in that organisation. There was the uh, culture out in the field yes. uh, of, of of major teamwork and, and and that sort of drive to collaborate very very effectively. And then in the office, um, then a culture
1: of well, completely different. I won't try to describe that. that culture, but a completely yeah. different culture, shall we say. It was, that's right, yeah, and uh, the office thinking they knew best and the guys in the rig saying, well, never mind what the office thinks, we've got to do this, you know, um, and of course in those days communications wasn't technically, was was hard yeah. anyway, so you had to be, uh, be, able, be able to work autonomously and not rely on town to support you on things sometimes, yeah. connections can be quite poor, so um, I just became very interested in this and a, a friend of mine was, had just taken an MBA and put me onto it and I... I I came back to UK basically and went, you know, got, went into Imperial College and did an MBA there just to find out a little bit more from a theoretical perspective. How does management yeah. supposed to work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that was that was pretty good. And it was it, I chose Imperial because it was quite highly respected in the oil and gas business. It's always been a big centre for geoscience, you know. Yeah. And um, so when I knew that uh, even it, when I graduated, I might well be working back in the same business. So since then, uh, and and. Um, well, I worked in a couple of roles uh, immediately afterwards and then was fortunate enough to uh, join Gemini Consulting in the mid-90s. Yeah. And that was my first entry into large-scale transformation, really sophisticated uh, strategic transformation uh, consulting. You know? and, and that was, again, uh, another fortunate thing for me because uh, I worked alongside some great people and we had some uh, uh, really, really good mechanisms for, Understanding how change works in a business and managing change in in, uh, yeah. in big complex organizations, uh, and it was, I say, so we had a it was it was no one technique. It was a package of quite simple methods that were put together and, and would, were really effective. The front end of the package was we had very smart strategy people who could come in and make a big uh, re- really get to the bottom of what what the st- strategy would be. Very creative but also they had a way of presenting strategy in a way that mobilized the organization. And we use the term organization to I mean really hearts and minds, you know, they either scared yeah. the ha- hell out of the people in the organization as to what would happen if they didn't do this change or get them tremendously excited about it. And it's that mobilization and that momentum in the organization that then was before, was the platform for us to come in and do the implementation uh, yeah. side. You know? So it was that combination of strategy and implementation skills and the way the Projects were designed and set up in the organisation that helped to build that momentum. Yes. Um, and, how, and how did your experience of being on the front line help you in that? Because that, you, you would have you would have seen both sides, wouldn't you? Really? Exactly. Yeah, uh, that, that's right. As I, I, I said, Tony, it was only when I got into consulting for a while I realised the benefits of the the, the, the drilling stuff and uh, the drilling experience had given me. It was, um, I, I I I think, a uh, resilience. Yeah, just being able to cope with anything that came up and not really get stressed out about it, yeah. it, is, it was, which was essential for working working offshore you know um, but also that thing of parachuting in with a completely weird polyglot of people from all the different backgrounds and being able to roll up the sleeves and get on with them quickly and be effective yeah. Yeah. I think all of that was absolutely necessary in these big major transformation programs as well and and. Uh, the the um, again in the drilling business again if you if you see something you're not quite sure of or something like that you have to be not afraid to go straight into the rig boss say look we got to do something here and you got to get, get get his or her attention get something done about it quickly and again all those all those uh, skills and ways of working uh, stood me in good stead for consulting as well you I know mean, Gemini recognised that I and mean, we, we they they hired from a huge range of different backgrounds mostly operations rather than uh, uh, consulting and yeah. um, it was uh, so it was a very helpful background and I, I, I was again privileged to work with Gemini I was working for about four years um, and really all of the management consulting methods tools techniques that I practice today and I've been practicing since basically I learned at Gemini most most of the time uh, uh, especially when I'm working as a freelancer I find myself working back with alumni of Gemini consulting because yeah. we uh, speak the same language we we no, the same methods and we can
0: we absolutely can, yeah. and, and there's that uh, element of
1: no liking trust isn't there so it, that yeah.
0: always makes it no liking trust it always makes it a lot easier to work with people that you know that you're liking yes. you trust and and you know, the fact that you've worked together in the past um, and yeah. just makes it a lot easier and, and and you can move forward a lot quicker that's right yeah yeah that's all that. That, that leads me into um, a question that we tend to ask everybody who comes onto
1: this uh, onto the podcast but how do you define transformation? <laughs> yes, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good question because there's lots of different definitions. For, for me, transformation is a multidimensional change in an organisation. Um, it refi- refers to, it's, it's typically where there's some big thing has happened. Either, uh, you know, there's a cost crisis or a, a structural change or a huge opportunity has opened up in the environment or if there's a major merger being decided, uh, you know, something something uh, something really big has happened. And the organisation has realised that it needs to make a, a change that would typically be a huge culture change across the organisation. It might take three or four years, but they have to do it in a year or two. So for, by, almost by definition, transformation is making change happen in the organisation faster than natural change processes would allow. And it, I, for me, a transformation really has to involve uh, a change in strategy that requires a change in organization, uh, business processes in particular, sometimes radical change, and typically these days, a change in terms of technology, the use of technology, okay? Now, there is a, an interesting thing, and we'll come back to this. Um, today, a vast majority, I think, of transformation programs seem to be driven by the availability of a particular technology or a new type of technology and the decision yeah. to take it on board Uh, And sometimes, in quite a lot of quarters in the consulting industry, by definition, transformation is we have to transform the organisation to use this new technology properly. And uh, I think that's uh, a mistake, typically. Yeah, that's that's the tail
0: wagging the dog, isn't it, a lot of the time?
1: Exactly, that's right. For me, so to summarise, I suppose, for me, a transformation is something that an organisation has to do in order to... uh, to implement a radically different business strategy of some mm.
0: kind. Yeah, yeah, we, we spoke about um, about this on an earlier show and um, we were saying that it all starts with having an absolute clarity around the vision and the strategy mm. um, and, and then once you're clear about that, then you can start to put together the components of that transformation. Yes. Which technology might be one element the people, the process, etc., um, But without having that, without spending the time up front to getting clarity around the vision and the strategy, mm-hmm. exactly. then the foundations are just not in place for that transformation.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a really good point. And, and yeah, I, I've come across various different scenarios. I've come across cases where there was a clear vision that was held by a very small group of people. Yeah. And they assumed, they, they were so excited about it. They seemed that having done that, they all they'd have to do is design the processes and do the technology so that it, it would all it would all work. But there's work to be done within the transmission program to spread that vision and have it shared by more people in their own words, in their own way, and make it uh, do it in a way that they can they thought of it themselves, in a sense.
0: Um, how, just just on that, then in in the, in the roles that you've been involved in, how, how have you achieved that? Because I, I absolutely agree, one of the one of the big challenges is is as you say, getting the strategy that is typically developed within a relatively small group of people, getting that um, understood um, in a consistent way, getting it getting people to buy into it. In a consistent way and then moving forward and, and that's a major challenge for a lot of organizations so i'd be interested just to understand your experience of, of, of how you've
1: been able to help organizations achieve that yeah it, it, it is a good point i think the um i really fall back on the methods that gemini taught me in the mid-90s uh, but now to be fair a lot of other people practice uh, today as well which is the vision you 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 have you start with the vision wherever it's captured in it heads and hearts of the uh, senior leaders plus two of the PowerPoint packs typically, um, uh, but then you have to set up and design and run the program uh, if you in a way that enables that to be shared more widely. And you can quickly, in the beginning of a programme, you a, a, a typical start is a, a series of uh, senior and mid-level interviews, you know, and some walk around the sites, the operations, and talk to people on the ground and see what what people, uh, what their perception is of what the new strategy is. You build up a picture then quickly as to how wide it's shared, how wide it's understood. And then you you have to set up a number of workshops or interventions of some kind, which on the surface are about sharing, but actually... Are more in the way they're designed. They're more creative things where you get people to think that to to create it. What it means for their function, for their department, for their role in the way that they think they thought of it themselves. You Mm -hmm. know, so it can sometimes look to a client as if you're doing the strategy workshop all over again. But sometimes, if it's a large scale and really complex and difficult change in the organization, sometimes you just have to do that. In Gemini, we call it brown paper mapping. Uh, In that as-is mapping, you get people to to splurge again on what it, what their problems and frustrations are and and, yeah. and um in the 2B you get people excited about what it could be and you have when I say people you have middle management junior management and senior management all involved in quite a carefully managed way so they are talking to one another in a way that they perhaps might have not have done they often haven't done so before. And that gives management the opportunity to try and share their vision a bit more with people. It gives the people a bit more an opportunity because it makes them feel that they've been heard. And again, the classic thing with behaviour in organisations is quite often a change disrupts or affects people and their role and so on in a way that they don't like. They never wanted. They don't. They, don't, they can't see. They don't think it's right for their business, um, and uh, it's classed as resistance. But actually, uh, sometimes if you design the change and you have that dialogue, you make sure that those conversations have been held and you use brand paper mapping, for example, as a mechanism to facilitate that then even if it's something that they didn't like or didn't want, at least they've had that conversation. They understand. Yeah. And they were you'd be surprised, people are much more accepting of them or get behind a change, even if it's one they didn't think they wanted, once they feel they've been heard and they've had that dialogue. Absolutely. And, and I think there's two things that came out of that. One, which is it's important that
0: the team, individual teams, individual departments, etc., are able to translate into their own language. Mm. Um, because then they take ownership of it, which yeah. it always helps in, in driving the change. As you were explaining the, the approach that you take, it, it sort of reminded me of something you said right at the start from your, your days in the mines, where when you're drilling, you you have to make it almost unstable. Yes. And, and, and And there's a sense of that coming through in those workshops. I remember doing one, in, in the naval base down in Portsmouth many years ago. And we and exactly the same, we had that brown paper on the wall, that, that same process. And, and the starting point was making these 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 the the teams um, and, and as you say senior right, down to junior members of the team unstable in what they do now. Yeah. And, and, and and highlighting yeah. why why it needs to change almost yes. in making that. And once you've done that but then they could they could they could break away from the as is and start yeah. to really think about the the to be yeah. but until you got that that element of the instability there was there were there were no we we have to work in this way we have to do it in this way and it takes some time i remember we, we tried to do it once and we got part of the way but you know when you sort of think mm-hmm. at the end you think we never really we, did, we didn't yeah. nail that, so we brought them back and did it again and, and really right. forced the issue. Yeah. And, it, and it worked very well in the second time.
1: Yeah, yeah. We used to hold those, we planned those and orchestrated those as is and to be workshops very carefully. We made them off sites, uh, yeah. you know, in, in the case of a, a big uh, oil and gas operator in, um, or energy company, uh, energy company in Finland. We actually took them on a, a, one of those offshore booze cruises that the oh, right, yeah. Scandinavians like so much, you know. Uh, but uh, what we forgot to tell them was that uh, it wasn't going to be any booze until we finished the workshop. But it was, um, yeah, the, the, the symbolic power of taking them off onto this ship and uh, cruising around the Baltic for a while. OK, we've only got a day. Let's see what we can hammer through yeah. this and redesign the way we're going to do things. Taking people away from the organisation helps to dislodge the thinking and... Yes, sometimes is a, a place where you can make people feel really uncomfortable. And if it's interesting, that thing about making people feel uncomfortable, later on in my career, when I started working more and more in uh, programs that were technology-driven, you end-to-end ERP programs, and I start, yeah. found myself working with people who came from a purely IT background, I'd say, okay, what have you done on the as-is and the 2B? Oh, um, well, the as-is, I, we never mind the as-is, it's a mess. So gonna, the, the 2B is, this system will be in and they running perfectly and everyone will love it, you know? And we, fake, we expect resistance, and people will hate it because they don't like new systems. And that's making them feel uncomfortable. They don't like the new system coming in. Yeah. Um, but as soon as they see it, of course, they'll get excited about it. And I, I said to them, no, it's, it's, it's not the new system. That, it, that That's not the level of discomfort. We need to, first of all, understand what the as is in the be, and the extent of change that people need to make, right down to people's roles, responsibilities, get them to see to to help design the map and then realize what it is is going to have to what are you going to have to do in order to make this we keep asking people what do you think is going to happen what are you going to have to do in order to make this work Um, and that's yeah you have to engineer that level of discomfort where they feel they know they're going to have to do something differently themselves and it's not just use a system a new system that they 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 don't like to look of it's more than that
0: yeah, it, it is and, and it is taking those people on that journey. We 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 keep coming back to this every time because it's just an absolute critical element of change, isn't it? But it's it's taking individuals on that journey because mm-hmm. we're, we're, even within a team that might have worked very well previously, different people will move on that journey at different times and will need different support elements almost. To, to take them on that journey. Yeah. Not because they're negative about that, about the change, it's just that they're uncertain about yeah. and, and And it always starts on, well, what does it mean for me? Yes. Um, right. and, and and the sooner you can answer that question, the better. Yeah. And, if, and, and equally, if you don't know, in my experience, it's better to say, we don't know. Yeah. But exactly. work with us and we'll be able to find
1: out. Exactly. The people who come from a, an IT background, they were typically uh, start the program there would be a strategic objective and a, a pack you know a big uh business case and strategy for what yeah. was going what the erp was was designed to do and then they bring in teams of coders sometimes working offshore to troll through the organization to basically put in place the, the code for all the different processes and sub processes and so on um and when when the, the often the as is in the 2B, would be discussed and understood by the senior people and there would be an understanding of what transition needed to happen. As the project proceeded and as new coders were brought on and so on, there'd be a bit of a loss of understanding of this. So the coders, yeah. I, I, within lots of workshops, where I find a mid-level or junior coder talking to a mid-level or junior manager saying, OK, I need to work on this process. Part of this, we need to see how do we raise invoices. So how do you raise invoices? And the guy in the business way, well, I raise invoices this way. And I'd come in and say, well, hang on, is this the as-is way of invoicing or the 2B way? Because we've already agreed that's going to be two, the current way of doing things. And the, with ERP, in order to leverage the business benefits from it, we need to do things in a different way. So is there a difference between the two? And the coder didn't know. And he just said, yeah. no, just tell me how you were." And he would end up coding for the as-is. And the business person, comparatively, junior person in the business wouldn't know either. And again, you just tell them what the as-is was. So that's where the loss of integrity occurs and why so many ERP programs, in my view, don't deliver what they're supposed to deliver because, and it's, it's the fault really of the program, to, program manager and the program team, not cascading down that understanding of the difference and help make ensuring everybody in the team really understands whether they are coding for the as-is or the 2B, you know? Absolutely. And, and
0: I always find that... Um, sometimes where where organizations have got very well-defined processes documented processes well-defined documented processes let's be clear about that um reality doesn't reflect those documentation that documentation um and people will treat the documented processes as 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 is yes and then look to move to 2b but actually you know you, you you're not starting from the right place because there's usually processes built upon tougher processes and built upon yeah. tougher processes and, yeah. and, and and reality never reflects what's what's documented down. Exactly. And it's, it's about, as you say, that that brand paper exercise at least gets you into the place where
1: you get the what's happening on the ground. Yes. And that's that's the right starting point. Exactly. And it's, I don't know if you find this, but I find it really hard sometimes to convince people to do workshops and brown papers because they say, oh, no, we've got this fabulous BPM tool now. We'll just sit down, guys, on, you know, um, especially these days and say, well, you've had to do it recently, but I mean, yeah. even before the pandemic came along. oh, we'll just sit down on this video conference call and we'll BPM it, you know. No, it's not about the software. I want, we need to work on happy... And that physically getting people up to talk and write through all diagrams on Flipchart and so on actually yeah. flushes out how does it act. It's the nuances,
0: isn't it, that comes out in that? Because even, even within a team that works very well together, mm. the likelihood is that two or three people will do the same activity in a slightly different way. Yeah. And it, it's the nuances that come out through that discussion that mm. really illuminates the, moving, uh, the, right. the plans
1: moving yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah, and also you find with those things sometimes you'll spot. I, this is one thing that I, I quite commonly you'll spot: a particular way of doing things that somebody has found or discovered in a, another part of the business, and actually it's it's got potential for benefit across the whole business, and it was never yeah. discovered in the initial diagnostic. You know, the, the the you've got to be prepared for new innovations coming out that, that you can spread across the business. You know, so being clear about uh, the as is to be
0: is obviously one of your key strands in terms of uh, managing that transformation. What, 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 what are some of the other things that you, you are essential elements of successful transformation? You do. There's another
1: element that I find quite challenging to deal with at the moment, and that is there's, there's a, a convention grown up in the last, I would say, 15 years or so, where program management and change management are seen as two separate and different disciplines. And I've been in lots of forums with people like yourself who work in transformation quite a lot and have agreed with me that they shouldn't be, but there's, there's been, there's still, that's still too widespread. So in my view, uh, as I understand it, the term program management is taken to mean somebody who knows how to do the engineer the software engineering, if you like, and plan the program and a typical program manager, uh, uh, works in a waterfall uh, way they they, they it's it's an engineering discipline if you like and change management is perceived by program managers as being some sort of black box but but if they think about it at all it's well it's about communicating with people and per- convincing people to do something differently, selling them thing to them and training them up you know um and um there's lots of debates as to whether program managers should understand change management and change management should understand i think my own view is that the, it's a it's a mistake to think of those two disciplines as separate. Uh, it, it's it, the um, and if, again, if we stick for the moment in convention program management, the reason why program management you can see why it grew into being a big and important discipline, and see where where um, Prince two and so on came came about, was that uh, software and systems are so complex they have to be treated like an engineering asset. So you have to have an engineering a waterfall engineering project with uh, stage gates yes. and you can be clear in each stage gate exactly what you've achieved and <clears throat> and, and make sure it all, that all the eyes are dotted and teeth across before you move on to the next stage so you can see why it came about engineering discipline was necessary as software became more complicated but engineering discipline does not take into account that some of the uh that, that you're dealing with people changing and yeah. People who come from an engineering background and a software engineering background tend to think of the people in the organisation as components of the system, if you like. It's it, interesting.
0: I was working in a uh, national utility firm um, a few years back, and um, we, I remember having heated discussion because they were looking to put um, a major transformation together, um, and they would bring and they were they were looking to bring project managers in and change managers in. Mm -hmm. and 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 keep them completely separate as two entities and it's like you can't do that it's a it's a recipe for disaster and we we had this debate and debate and debate um and um it took probably i would say two months before i got my way it was constantly going back again breaking down that that element and and Mm -hmm. When, when you sort of step back and reflect, I, I, and what you've just said there, I think was very apt for, for them because they're an engineering business. Yeah. So they run their engineering That's activities right. as projects. Um, so their perception of project management is driven by, through a lens of engineering yeah. uh, discipline. Um yeah when you're doing a transformation in organisation mm-hmm. the, the biggest element of of that transformation is the people yes so almost you've got to lead by the people side rather okay. than the engineering discipline of project Because yeah. the easiest thing in the in the world is to do the activity yes the hardest thing is to get the people to change
1: yeah
0: exactly. um, so it's, it you're almost reversing aren't you that 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 sort of yeah. Um, preconceived
1: idea that actually project management is the is, is 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 the is the key yeah that's right and i mean there's two other aspects of the engineering thinking which are damaging i mean uh, it, it it it's all it all can be fixed if you've got a program manager who does understand change management prepared to partner with the change management person and just listen to them. you know you, so you can have it as two separate disciplines but um uh, another aspect is uh, that that's that's unhelpful is this and focus on documentation this grew up in the software business primarily in uh, in y2k when uh, to their embarrassment most itp people realized they would never properly documented the software that they created some years back so documentation became the thing to the point where in an engineering project if you it's not done until it's documented but if you try applying that to change management and i, I had this argument with a number of engineering program managers uh, where they say i've only got a few we're going live in a few weeks time you know we've we've already done all the coding configuration and the uh, nobody's very happy so you can't go talk to anybody but we need you to produce some deliverable change management deliverables so here's a a matrix for, the, for a stakeholder engagement plan. Here's a matrix for this, here's a matrix for that. Go and fill it, you know, populate these excels. you know? <laughs> I like if I, I need to talk to these stakeholders to see what their perceptions are and see what, how we can engage them, see what their influence is. And so, oh, don't go and talk to any of them. Just write it down. <laughs> and and uh, just produce the deliverable. And it's yeah. gonna be done in two days time. And uh, so people wanted me to produce deliverables. In the end, I left the organisation. Um, uh, there, were, there were a number of people I was able to work very well with, but it was quite difficult, in, especially in the ERP programmes, to really get past this thing. You know? yeah. Absolutely. I, think, I, I totally agree. And in, 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 the,
0: in the example I was showing earlier, then that's exactly what happened there. It was, well, we've got a change impact assessment. We've got stakeholder analysis um, mm. uh, form that you've got to complete. And these are standard forms, and, and it's, it's our way of, uh, our way of delivering programmes or projects. Yeah, um, and it was it was as you say it was a tick box exercise, yeah. and uh, they almost wanted to do it to demonstrate that they considered the change, but not really not actually doing yeah. anything about it.
1: So well, that was yeah, just it. Yeah, I, I, they when I produced the the plan, I'd say, now who's going to implement this? Oh, now I've got to go and implement it. No, oh, no, you can go now. Uh, you know, we've got <laughs> a budget for you. I said, this producing a plan is the start of the project. No, this is the end point. This is the deliverable we have to produce. Uh, and I said, no, that's just a plan for what we need to do in stakeholder engagement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've said a, a, a number, number of times uh, during,
0: during the session today about you know, how stressful it can be for the people um, that are involved in uh, receiving the change or, or equally those who are involved in delivering the change. Um, what, what do you do to sort of
1: alleviate that stress for you personally? It's funny you asked that question, though, because I have had a couple of people over the years saying to people, why, why you never get stressed out. And I do take it back to that, that experience I mentioned earlier on. It's genuinely true when you're drilling, working a drilling operation on an open hole situation. This is before, before you've cased off the hole and it becomes a production asset. When, it's, yeah. when it, you're just trying to make the hole, it's, you, you, it's deliberately in an unstable state. And you really can, every rig, every drilling operation is about half an hour away from a total blowout at all times until they've cased it off you know and uh, the whole the whole focus of the work is to prevent that blowout happening but that you have to be you have to make it put it in that unstable situation so um sometimes you know if i'm in a really stressful difficult situation at work when I'm standing there in front of a workshop and everyone's getting up against it and all of it i sometimes think well, what's the worst thing that can happen well yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be blown to smithereens. You know what I mean. Which is what no, totally, for eight solid yeah. years. You
0: know. <laughs> and it reminds me. We've we've had a number of people on on the on previous episodes that are ex-forces, and they say exactly the same. It's it's you know when when you've been in a um, in, in a war zone or you've been going into situations that you know you could turn around a corner and you could stand on a line, landmine and stuff. Then yeah. actually getting some obviously. difficult stakeholders in a, in a room and having, having a heated yeah. debate about change, yeah. it, it, does, it
1: doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really affect <laughs> yeah. no, it's, me. It's very interesting you mentioned that because um, I had never, uh, grown up in Ireland, obviously is not a very military country at all, um, and I'd never really worked with people with an ex-military background until I worked in Gemini, and they had quite a few of them, and uh, to me, there's something about the training and development of military people that it makes them, they're, they're better than most people at organizational work, at really understanding yeah. how people behave in organization and, and moving it forward. The, and it's, it's, it's a combination, yeah, they're putting stress in situations, but I think the army is obviously, and the, and the forces are obviously really good at training people in, in organizational change and transformation know all, all the yeah. different, in how people behave in organizations and how to lead people through a big change or through a difficult situation. Uh, and I've worked with some really great uh, change people that, that come yeah. from.
0: Yeah. I remember one, um uh, Chris a few weeks back, he was he was talking about trust. And mm-hmm. um um and it's all about trust. And he was saying um when when he's uh, when he was in the uh, in, in in any situation, yeah, his number one responsibility was to make sure that the person to the left of him and the person to the right of him was op- were okay yeah and and he knew that they were looking doing exactly the same thing so as a team they always had two people looking after you yeah um, and making sure that you were okay and 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 um, and and it was built around that complete trust in the team yeah. and and, and I remember saying at the time if we could sort of take that and put it into organisations change would be easy
1: yeah, and that's yeah. what we
0: should try. That's what we should be trying to do, really, getting building that team and that trust within the organisation.
1: Yeah, there, there's some. It's interesting you mentioned that. There's some very interesting uh, methods and theories. Uh, again, uh, that I've been privileged to work with. Uh, I, I worked with a small boutique organisation a few years back, who did some really excellent work on trust uh, and building trust in organisations through some methods that are uh, known as commitment-based management. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah, yeah and, uh, uh, Originally pioneered uh, by a fellow called Fernando Flores, who's still out there and still, still doing webinars. And um, uh, they, they had a series of really good methods about, uh, all, all in the interest of building trust in organisations, about uh, starting small and simple processes, getting people to make offers, to their colleagues, the people next to them, the customers, their suppliers, yeah. uh, 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 designing those offers, accepting, making commitments based on those offers, uh, identifying what conditions would be for, would be would be acceptable, would make, make this commitment acceptable, and then uh, uh, tracking back, giving feedback, getting the, the customer to give feedback on whether they they received the thing the right way, and there's several other what they call speech acts. So specific formal ways of communicating in organizations, uh, things like making declarations, things like uh, um, uh, uh, basically making promises and keeping, to keep sticking to your promises. Yeah. And then Starting with some small, simple things, building that out into a whole network of commitments and promises to, to oil the wheels of a, of a process and make it work smoothly and effectively. And through working in that way, then, Everybody in the organization gradually builds trust with other yeah. people in the organization, and with that foundation, you can do anything. But I always remember that the key to uh, commitment-based
0: management is for people to be accepting that I am not going to make a commitment that I don't believe that I can deliver, yes. even though you might want me to do. And so that peer pressure, uh, right. you've got to accept that that peer pressure. You, you can't, you can't have peer pressure in that situation, can you? Yes. Because you, yes. you want, you need people to be fully focused upon owner committing to stuff that they can actually deliver so we're, we're coming towards the end now uh, uh Simon so um we always finish off with the the question that sort of what's your number one takeaway what's your you know one thing that you could boil all your experience down what would be the one thing that you would recommend that people
1: take take account of yeah um well there's two things really <laughs> um <laughs> The one thing again, referring back to what we mentioned earlier, uh, and what I've learned in particular, uh, relevant today because of the, the whole focus around digital and technology and so on, that um, uh, innovation is where where it is at the moment. That's that's the the, the key thing people are trying to uh, yeah. implement in order to to get to beat the competition. Uh, but understanding that innovation is a process and not an idea, and differentiating between the two. So people often think of innovation is as, as a new app, as a new Te- technology yeah. out there, or we've had an idea, we can do this. The idea is only the start of the process. The innovation is actually making it work. And I often, uh, I love this, this, this story. If you ever read about Tim Berners-Lee experience in uh, you know, getting Ar- ARPANET, the original yeah. internet, accepted. It, the design and the coding for it was done uh, in in space of a few hours, but it took him years tramping around all of these different universities talking to everybody and trying to get them to, to, to experiment with this new method of getting uh, machines to communicate with one another. Um, and and uh, so the innovation is the process, not the not the idea itself. And the second thing, um, again, something we've, we've mentioned a little bit earlier is um, the key takeaway, if you like, for uh, what underlies a lot of the best transformation methods is working with organisations in a way that enables them to uh, working with people in a way that enables them to do things differently in a way they think they thought of it themselves. Yeah. And, you know, this might sound a cliche, but where I, what really, what, what gets me out, out of bed in the morning, what makes me satisfied in, in doing the work is when people come, come back to me and say, look, we did this, we didn't think we could do this. And yeah. uh, there was one particular business where, um, uh, we'd made a big change happen and a large part of it was about getting the leadership engaged and leading that change you know and uh, we'd run a series of workshops and we'd pull people in and people were coming back to me it's astonishing suddenly I found the, the chief executive the chief of operations we doing we're acting the way that and we've been trying to convince them to do that for years and now they're <laughs> doing it and they weren't even saying you helped us or you did that or, although that came out a bit later on their first thought was, "We'd seen this big change. We, we, we did it. You know, we managed to make it work. We ran these workshops and we made it work. And this time, the leadership were, were doing it. So, that's what is uh, key to it. Myself is, is is getting people to work in such a way, asking them the questions yeah. that make them realize what it is they have to do differently and think they thought of it themselves. And hey, I come up with a great idea. You didn't tell me to do it this way. That, in fact, makes me more satisfied. Yeah. yeah, that and, and that's the skill of the facilitator, isn't it? Mm, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, and it was, again, something that Gemini taught us from the off, you know, to, it was yeah, all around facilitation. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Thanks for your time today. Oh. And um, and
0: I'm sure people have taken at least one or two key ideas forward on, from, from, from this show. So, Once again, thank you, Simon. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and leave a message uh, or a comment. Uh, it's very much appreciated. And, and also check out what we're doing at the Transformation Leaders. Hub. They come along to one of our virtual uh, networking sessions. Um, Simon will be involved in many of those. So a great opportunity to follow up on the conversation today. See you in a couple of weeks.